everyone, it is Jeff Anderson. And I am Buff Green. And this is the Modern Combat and Survival's Friday Reload Podcast. This is just kind of your Cliff's Notes version for stuff that's been happening on the blog or in the news. And it's our chance to just kind of have some conversation around your comments and our own... We get to interject our own wondrous beliefs into, into the conversation as well and uh, just kind of have a, a conversation about it. So... Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to go over some of the blog posts. Of your first, if this is your first Friday reload, we'll go over some of the quick points, the quick tips from the from the blog post this week, and then at the end we're going to talk about some things that that both Buck and I have learned this week that we didn't know last week in the what do you know section. So, uh, Buck, let's go ahead and um, why don't you go ahead and get started with the the first blog post that we put out this week? Well, this one was an interesting one because it sort of prompted quite a bit of discussion. It was called The Myth of the Tactical Reload and Why It Could Get You Killed in a Real Gunfight. Uh, and basically, the idea is, uh, you know, we, we do a close-quarter shooting program, and, and close-quarter shooting is, is an integral part of, of realistic, practical self-defense. Um, you know, you're there, you're hunkered down behind your car's engine block, exchanging bullets with some thug, and uh, you're running low on ammo, so instead of waiting until your gun is completely empty, you slip your spare magazine between a couple of figures, you eject your partially spent mag in one hand, you switch out the mags, put the new one in, and all of this is just a terrible, terrible idea. Uh, the, the post goes on to explain why the tactical reload could get you killed under the stress of a real attack. You know, your adrenaline is going, your fine motor skills are poor, um, it's just a it's just a bad idea, and... There's a, a link there to the seven-factor close combat shooting system. Uh, it was an interesting post, and I, I enjoyed it just because anytime there's gun stuff, uh, I'm interested and I'm happy. But then there was this delightful argument that occurred in the comments of the, the blog post with people going back and forth about whether it's really even a thing or not. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, and I, I was looking at that too, and I, and I want to apologize to the ones that were having the argument because usually I try to monitor the blog and and just try to keep things really professional. And I think I think for the most part it was, but you know, I try to keep it from turning into some, you know, thirteen year old tirade like you see on YouTube. You know, like you know, your mother sucks. No, your mother sucks worse. And and um, I don't think it really got to that point here, but definitely uh, there was some there were some hurt feelings in this. And and anytime you're talking about guns and tactics, there's always like you know, you're going to have heavy opinions either way. You know, what we always do, what we always look at is like the practicality. And there's just a, this was the whole point for the post was that there's so many myths out there. Like there's so many things that, that work great in a relaxed range or where you're in open carry, not concealed carry. You know, we talk about the tooler drill as one of those examples, right? Like the 21 foot rule that so many people, you know, um, that they, they they kind of live by that like that like that is a rule if somebody is well, is within 21 feet then they can reach out and touch you but you know that rule just as an example was done with a police officer who knew an attack was coming because it was a test who was in open carry you know everything was right right there it was a revolver i believe that that, that was used so there was no need to to um you know, chamber around, or if somebody was, wasn't changing, or didn't have a round in the chamber. So there's all sorts of factors where 21 feet is just total bullshit. And um, so this, the tactical reload, I think, kind of fits into there as well as it's one of those things that that works great when you're practicing down at the range and the exercise is for a tactical reload, and and you're not all, you know, 
adrenalized and and um and that's and, and a lot of times you get people that will train that and they get it down really, really good at the range, but they've never actually had to like test it under an adrenalized state to act, you know, where somebody's charging at you or it truly is a close quarters fight. You know, it's funny you mentioned the Tubler drill because that's become a lot like Hitler on the internet. Uh, you no longer have to have an actual discussion. You can just go, because the Tuller drill, that's why. You know, just like, yeah. because Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you, so you bring up a good point also that when we talk about close quarters, um, shooting, because our whole premise, uh, you know, and the reason why we put out the, um, the, the extreme close quarter shooting guide was that most, most fights do happen in less than nine feet. And the problem is, is that the stats that are out there that everybody lives by, are ones that were done um, either from reports from law enforcement. So the, the FBI's stats of law enforcement reports. And the factors that a, a police officer goes into, that they would get into a, a gunfight, like where they, where they know that the, you know, they, they're getting called to something where they already have warning of it, their, their firearms are drawn, they're approaching cautiously, is totally different than being ambushed on the street and having to use your concealed firearm for, for backup. So so there's all sorts of factors there. And if you're in close quarters combat shooting, you're not going to do a tactical reload anyway, right? Like you're not going to be seven feet away from somebody and juggling two different magazines. You're just going to, and you're not even going to have a partially spent magazine. You're going to shoot until that person is down. Now, it's, and this was kind of part of the argument was the only lull in the fight is when it looks like the fight is over. And and I thought that was a really good point that was in there. And I think that was um, I think that was Stephen. It was either Stephen or American Icon. These were, these are the guys that were going back and forth. Um, it was American Icon. I thought that was a really good point. And um, because when you do. Like let's say you are in a close quarters fight and you are you 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 do shoot you do stop the threat the person goes down they look like they're in, incapacitated um, that would be an opportune time since you probably blew like six seven you know it's going to take six or seven rounds it's not going to take one round to to put somebody down it's going to take six or seven rounds to put them down anyway and so if they do look like they are incapacitated that might be a good time to put your other magazine in just to be, you know, the person does get up or their buddy comes out of out of the alleyway or out of a car or something like that, then you've got, you know, another another magazine you. But that you really do have I mean a low in the fighting is not like you're you're hunkered down behind a car and there's still bullets flying and um you know cuz somebody can just come around the car and start shooting you. So so there was a lot of good points I think in this, but we have to really you know, you've you've just got to really understand that what works out at the range doesn't always, you know, work in real life. In fact, um, my friend Ox has a, a really good way to train this, um, especially this would be good with the tactical reload, which is to plunge your hands into ice water and until they, they just, like, they start getting numb and then try and do your exercises like a tactical reload and you start realizing what it's really like under an adrenalized state to try and juggle two different magazines. You know, it's when you don't have those those fine motor skills that you're used to. And uh so that's something for the for those that are just like, no, I, can, I like you don't understand. I'm like I am an Israeli badass with with uh tactical reloads. <laughs> you know, try try doing it after plunging your hands into into ice water. 
just as an aside, I saw a hilarious video on YouTube the other day. People tend to think of all Israelis as tactical badasses because, you know, for obvious reasons, there's plenty of Israeli tactical instructors and there's, uh, you know, they're fighting for their lives on a daily basis. But not all Israeli tactical instruction is the same. And I saw this one guy on YouTube, uh, he's some Israeli Krav Maga type instructor, but there's a wide variety of Krav Maga out there. And this guy was doing like the flap your arms draw where like he's, he's dropping into a, a horse stance and just spreading his elbows and, you know, drawing the gun and chambering around with the thing up against his cheek. And it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Well, I think it's probably like the army too. Like I was, you know, when we trained in the army and we trained, um, you know, hand to hand combat. In basic training, it was karate 101. It was like it was like the first day of taekwondo class, and that was like the entire hand-to-hand combat thing. It was like you know high ya, high you know <laughs> karate kicks, and <laughs> and I was just like and I and I was already a martial artist. I was a martial artist since a, since a young age, and and focused mostly on stuff that was really going to work on the street. And I just remember thinking like, oh my god, please tell me like the rest of the army is not as bad as as this training. But everywhere you go, the training that if you got any training at all in hand-to-hand combat, which was very little, it was typically just done by somebody else within your unit who has taken martial arts. Like we didn't have like a a designated hand-to-hand combat instructor. It was basically whatever training you could get your hands on, which was typically very traditional karate type training. Yeah. You know. So anyway, all right. Let's go on to the next. Uh, the next. Pod, or the, I'll, we'll go ahead and go into one of the the, the next um, blog posts we did, which was, should you really be worried about an Ebola pandemic outbreak coming to the United States? And essentially, when we did this this post, it was really for, the answer is kind of no. Well, here's what I put. The answer is no, sort of, at least not yet, but with a little twist. And the point of that was Ebola is not, is not like a... Um, like a measles outbreak, you know, like a measles outbreak, I believe is classified by the, by the centers for uh, disease control as an ICD 10, which means that basically for every one person infected, you can, you know, you can pretty much count on like 10 more people being infected. Ebola, because of the way that it's spread and the timing that it's spread. In other words, like there's some illnesses that you, um, you don't even know that you're sick but you have a virus and you're walking around infecting other people and they, you know now they're getting infected but you don't know that that with, with Ebola you're in symptoms when you're contagious and so that's why the people who are being infected here are the people and you notice from the from the news cases they're the people that are give, you know giving care they're the doctors that are at the biggest risk for this and so and, and Ebola so for that reason because they're only contagious when the symptoms are there. It's it's only classified as an ICD-2. In other words, for every one person with Ebola, it's possible that they could infect two other people. So it's a relatively low rate of of spread. The reason why it's such a pandemic in in Sierra Leone and Liberia is because they have such horrible conditions over there. Um, even you know, especially even in the hospitals, you can see the pictures. I mean, they're pretty much just you know lying all over the place, and so. Um, that's why it's it's spread so bad over there. That and there's there's not that much healthcare available, so 
you know, they might they might be symptomatic and contagious and not have access to a hospital and things like that. So, but so the the switch the twist to that is when there's any sort of a collapse or any widespread crisis that we're going through, you know, that the worst place to be during a pandemic outbreak is probably the first place most people go for any sort of medical attention. So, you know, when if you're going to a hospital because you have a broken arm or you have, um, you know, you you wonder if your your family member has the flu or something, you go there and that's where the viruses are. It doesn't have to be a hospital either. It could be some, you know, a FEMA camp. It could be a Red Cross camp or something like that that's treating people. When you need medical attention, you're going to a place where you're most likely to be infected by something else. And so that was the whole point of this is that you really have to be, you know, it's one of those survival skills that a lot of people don't don't really consider in their repertoire. And it's it's being your own doctor, being able to give yourself not just to be able to, you know, um, patch up a cut, but also the long-term survival type stuff, the stuff that you would need for illnesses and and just everyday stuff that you, you know, think about what you went to the doctor for, you and your family went to the doctor for, for the last year or so. If it's a long-term collapse sort of thing, or if there's it's um, there's just a pandemic outbreak that, that, that lasts a long time, then it could be best for you to be your own doctor if you have those skills. And one of the things that we uh, we, we put in there was it was a link over to a replay of a of a of a workshop that was on survival medicine, and it focused mainly mainly on essential oils. And this is something that I've just recently gotten into. Um, I had seen a, a a workshop on this at a self at the Self Reliance Expo up in Dallas, and uh, kind of got into it there. I didn't really know a lot about it, but then a friend of mine told me that he he was almost like near death last year and he credits the essential oils that he was doing as saving his life. So I, that perked my ears a little bit. So I started checking into it. Um, I'm now doing them. Um, really excited about it. My, my son had uh, what we thought was possibly strep throat uh, a few weeks ago. And then I used a, a couple of essential oils that I looked up specifically for, for that and treated him and within four days it was gone so you know it saved us a trip to the doctor um and i you know i I wasn't being irresponsible i wasn't gonna let it get to that point but you know it was it was lingering with him and so you know i did this work i don't know i'm gonna i'm gonna work with it some more but i'm using it a whole bunch of different things from weight loss now (laughs) to everything and so I feel like we should be running a medical disclaimer, like essential oils are not a medical Well, that's a not for culture doctor. That's a good point because um, the uh, I don't know if it was the CDC or whoever contacted the company that I buy the essential oils from, which are they're like pharmaceutical grade essential oils. They're they're like the highest quality essential oils. And when this Ebola thing broke out, they contacted the company and told them. Now remember. You, you can't say that you can cure Ebola. And the reason why they say that is because there really there is no, like, really, like, quote-unquote, cure for Ebola. But there is an essential oil that has been shown and has been proven to, and I'm not going to use the word cure, I'm not going to jail, but to be really, really helpful um, versus specifically Ebola. And Again, I'm I'm not saying that it cures Ebola. I'm not saying that you know nothing to worry about. This will take care of everything. But 
um, you know, we are we are a, a country fueled by you know pharmaceutical companies and and big big money, and it's just a big it's a big scam. And so I believe in natural health. I believe in I believe in you know medical attention as well, but. There are things that you can do to be your own doctor that, you know, don't dismiss them. And you're right. We, you know, we have to put a disclaimer on that. But, look, I, I believe in this stuff. I believe in natural health. I mean, herbs and, you know, and, and all sorts of natural health uh, sort of things. In fact, we're going to be doing some more um, interviews on that. I'm going to be interviewing uh, Nurse Amy, who who is also into essential oils and herbs. And so I'm going to be interviewing her on herbs next. But anyway... The point is, <laughs> the point is that you really have to look at yourself as being your own doctor because you might be, you might have to, and so I, yeah. I just find that so alarming that when they have to call you up preemptively and remember, you don't actually cure this. Yeah. When the Ebola apocalypse gets you because you live in Texas, I will remember you fondly. <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate that. God, he really loved Kim Jong Il. <laughs> There'll be pictures of Kim Jong Il crying. <laughs> you have never seen so many pictures of one Korean dictator and one guy dying. <laughs> so people are going to have to listen to the previous Friday Reloads to even know what we're talking about. But just to give you a picture, well, yeah. the, the whole the whole South Park you know love affair between um, Saddam Hussein and Satan. <laughs> it's like a well, and, good and so I might as well plug it then. Go back and. Listen to the previous Friday Reload podcast where I tease Jeff mercilessly about, like, like as if it's a series of bad political campaigns. Jeff Anderson doesn't care if your feelings are hurt in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Anderson once ate a puppy. <laughs> yeah, I think it's Friday Reload number one because I've been getting shit for yes. it ever since. So, yeah. Yes, that's a Kim Jong Il episode. Yeah, the Kim Jong Il. And I don't. I, it's gotten to the point where I don't even remember what you said that made me start telling you that you love Kim Jong Il. It's just become a fact in my head. Oh yeah, I, Jeff, he loves Kim Jong Il. Yeah, I think it was the North camouflage. Korea. Yeah, it was something about North Korea's camouflage or something <laughs> like that. their their lime green camouflage. <laughs> anyway, all right. So what, what was the uh, what was up this week with the podcast? Okay, this was MCS Podcast 8, Military S-E-R-E. I've never been sure if you're supposed to pronounce that or not. Uh, Escape and Evasion Tactics with yeah. uh, Reggie Bennett. Um, what would you do if you were held against your will with an unknown fate? Uh, would you know how to escape? Uh, most of us think that that's something that only like soldiers and people in movies deal with, but, you know, People get abducted. It happens. It happens all the time. Um, and if you live in uh, one of the southern, you know, like southwest states, across the border of Mexico, people are getting kidnapped like it's going out of style. Um, Reggie Bennett is a former military SEER instructor, and he explains in the podcast, uh, you know, skills that you can master that will help you get out of a situation like that. Um, it includes things like uh, psychological triggers to help you stay mentally strong, uh, how to plan and execute your escape, how to make yourself invisible to like mask your escape route when you're leaving, um, evading people who might be trying to find you and bring you back, and even things like interrogation and torture. I mean, we're, we're not saying that the podcast is going to turn you into Jack Bauer, but it's just one of those prepared citizen things. You ought to at least consider these concepts. There was a, a case in the city where I live a few years ago where this family was abducted 
uh, in their own garage. They came home and there were some uh, essentially home invaders waiting for them in their garage, put them in the trunk of the car, like molested the wife, drove them around town, and were telling all their friends, yeah, we're going to murder them when we're done having fun with them. And apparently because their kid was with them, uh, one of the evil people's friends was like, well, yeah, I might drive some people around in the trunk of my car, but I wouldn't, like, kill them because they have a kid. That seems wrong to me. So given that curious moral center, they called the cops. And so this family was finally rescued from what was just the worst nightmare imaginable. But it it all started when they came home. They just came home to their garage, and they got kidnapped and driven around the trunk of a car and were on the schedule to be murdered. So, you know, it does happen. It's hard to believe, but it does. It does happen, and there's a lot of, um, I won't go too far down the rabbit hole when it comes to, like, you know, conspiracy theories and stuff like this, but, I mean, it does seem like there's an all-out war on patriots, and I think that's, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff coming up with, um, you know, just kind of, man, I get, never mind, I'm starting to go down the rabbit hole, never mind. I, I've, <laughs> I've been seething all week, like, I've had to have really, I've been in kind of an insane point all week, so I won't go too far down there, but... Um, there was a good comment on there that I thought was well. There was only one comment so far on the blog. So for everybody that's listening to the podcast, like leave comments on that. In fact, your best thing is to go and and please subscribe to the podcast, and then go ahead and please leave a comment on the podcast. Like we're really trying to build up the podcast and and get people subscribed. I know people are subscribing. We see the downloads and everything, so people are enjoying it. But what we're trying to do is get the rankings up in in iTunes so that more and more people will find it in there. And so. So please go ahead and um, go to iTunes and leave a comment for us. Give us the four-star treatment, um, the four-star rating in there, and I appreciate it. And there was there was one comment in there. Do you have it pulled up? Yes. Uh, it was from someone named uh, Wild Chill. Yeah, Facebook has really ruined talking about any conversation that happens on the Internet because now when you actually have to read a screen name, everyone sounds like an idiot. Well, you know, this comment from ZombieKiller818 says, but anyway, uh, Wild Chill writes, practice makes perfect. I spend 10 to 12 hours a week in the woods. I'm lucky. We have the Greenway here in Florida with lots of different kinds of trails. I spend a lot of time hiding and evading other hikers and riders on these trails. Most are never aware that I am anywhere around. Uh, and I, I thought that was interesting or possibly psychotic, but I'm going to go with interesting yeah. and say that, you know, that, that's a cool skill to develop. Like, you actually are practiced at not being noticed by other people. Nobody gets hurt. You're not doing anything that's going to harm anyone. But you're helping to hone what could become an important skill if you ever find yourself in that situation. Well, it is It is definitely, hmm, like, when somebody does, like, if they don't notice you, that's great, great training. But if a jogger is going by and they see you lurking with, you know, leaves sticking out of your hair and you're like three feet away from the jogging trail to see if they they'll notice you or not and they do notice you now all of a sudden you're a 911 call and so i would caution against seeing you and just how much you can you can get away with as far as like lurking on people um <laughs> but you know it is one of those skills like how do you, like how do you practice it you know I, and i do remember it does call to mind um when i was in the army and um, when I was in 10th Mountain Division, like I was, I was straight up Ramboed out. I was just like I could not get enough training, and it was like I just remember one time I was drink. Most of most of our training happened, I think, when we were drunk. So like me and my buddies were, I would just remember being plastered and like 
stumbling around the neighborhood. <laughs> Green line. Yeah. I was like stumbling around the neighborhood. And then I heard like this party going on in somebody's backyard. And so I, I went into like straight up stealth mode. It's like, I wonder how close I can get to these people without them noticing me. And so I essentially low crawled my way into the inside of their party to the point where I was like underneath a bush right behind like these three people having a conversation and you know and and you know they were drinking too so that probably made it a little bit easier for me but I was basically inside of their party under a bush and they had like I, I think I went like one inch every 10 minutes like I was just so focused on being silent and I just and then I backed out of it and they never knew that I was there and um, so I don't recommend doing that either. Boy, I'm, we're full of a bunch of advice, like, of what not to do that we've done. This is, I feel like, you know, I'm, a, I'm the dad. You know, it's like, do as I say, not as I do, you know. But, you know, it is one of those things, like, how do you really practice escape and evasion? I am um, – I haven't announced this out to the list yet, but I'm going to actually do Kevin Reeves' Urban um, Escape and Evasion course in Austin, Texas, in November, I'm, I'm finally going to that, which is which is basically the the practical course behind our social chaos escape and evasion guide. Like this is where you put all that stuff together. So I want I want to put it out to people. If you um, can make it down to Austin, Texas, toward the end of November, that I'm going to be there. Um, I'd love to have people come out and train with me. I'm going to be taking Kevin's course, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Or basically, we're going to be abducted, thrown into the back of a van. And we have to learn how to, and, and there'll be trackers in the city, and we have to evade people within the actual city of, of Austin. So it's a really, really cool application of the stuff that we talk about a lot, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. So definitely check that out. Yes, and no part of that sounds like the beginning of a movie where everything goes horribly wrong. Yeah. Kevin's been telling <laughs> me about, he's been telling me about some of the courses that they've had in the past. So, um, <laughs> well. The other thing is, you know, you talk about possibly having the cops called on you when you're out in the woods like that. There's no good way to explain that when they do pick you up here. <laughs> what were you doing out here? Well, you see, officer. I read this blog Funny post. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was honing my escape and evasion skills. Okay, we're just going to beat you now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the uh, the final blog post that we had this week is called the first three things you must do in an emergency, number three is the most overlooked. And this really comes to when there's a, um, you know, when there is an actual emergency, like a, like a rolling, um, like a blackout, a rolling brownout, something like that, where the grid goes down or any sort of a crisis that affects you and your neighborhood that could be longer than just like out for 10 minutes. And so there are three things that we talk about here. This was a guest post that was put in here. Number one is to bring your whole family into one room and keep an eye on them and not let anybody go outside without, like, basically using the buddy system. Like, don't let somebody just go roaming around. Like, I'm going to go find out what's going on. And then one person just kind of leaves. Kind of like, you know, the the um, the horror movies. Like, I'll be right back. I'm going to go check on that sound. And then it's like they don't come back for, like, 18 hours, and everybody's like, well, what should we do? I don't know. I'll go look for them. And then they don't come back for 18 more hours. So, Hey, guys, I just found Jeff hanging from his intestines in the bathroom. Let's find the guy who did it. <laughs> no, wait. I'll just go by myself. 
Uh, number two was check on your water supply. So, you know, food's going to be there, right? Like you're going to have food in the refrigerator for however long it'll, it'll last in there. And you'll have stuff in the pantry. And if you're, if you're stocking up on food, you know you're going to have food. But the big thing is water because that's the hardest thing to store. And you're, and it's the one thing you're going to want to maximize as much as possible. So, so first, uh, number two is check on your water supply. So if there's, if you still have clean running water, if you still have electricity and can get water, then fill up your bathtub very quickly. Put the plug in, fill up the bathtub. They even make these containers now that you can just put in your bathtub, those big plastic containers, and then it fills up so you have that water to use if the if you're in a survive-in-place situation and it's going to be a longer-term thing. So make sure you take care of your water supplies. Uh, and then the third one is also the most overlooked, and that is fortify your home. And this is one of the, the most common mistakes that are out there is that people don't take their home defense seriously. And a major, a major emergency that happens could really shut you out from the, from the outside world. And then, you know, there could be looting that could happen. There could be, you know, it really makes yourself a target, especially if, you know, you're, if you, if the concept of home defense for you is having an alarm system in your house that is based on electricity, that when somebody breaks in, automatically calls a a 911 center for you to get response. And in a in a true collapse, number one, you might not have power to your system, so it's completely useless. And then it's just you know whatever locks you have on your house or don't have, or you know however flimsy they are. And then also you know the response might never come. I mean, even in a even in a regular call during you know non crisis. You never know how long it's going to take for law enforcement to get to you. If it's a if it's a true sort of a collapse or a, a really you know bad crisis where there is looting going on or there's fires going on and things like that, riots happening, you know law enforcement is most likely never going to get there. So you really must fortify your home. And there is a, a link in there over to a program that's specifically um, built for survivalists on fortifying their home for this sort of thing. So um, so check that out. And um, okay, so those are the blog posts for this week. And now we come to the part of our part of our Friday reload where we talk about what do you know. This is where where Buck and I gonna go over what we got from our blog or maybe from something else, something that's happening in the news, and talk about something that we know this week that we didn't know last week. So, um, Buck, you want to go first? Well, you know, there's been a lot of stuff in the news about the uh, the director of the Secret Service stepping down. Uh, there's been so many missteps. Uh, it's starting, you know, I didn't remember the, the big hooker scandal uh, south of the border and the, uh, everything that had come out over the last few days about uh, here's the time they failed to, to protect the president from this. One of the uh, news items that hasn't made the list of, wow, the Secret Service sucks lately, is people forget not that long ago, President uh, Obama was in Germany and like he was working out in some gym in like Germany. I, I think that was the country. It was somewhere in the European theater there. And somebody took footage of him working out and it made its way to the internet because it was funny. You know, he's like working out with these little hand weights. And let's be honest, regardless of whether you like or dislike President Obama, the dude is not exactly a physical specimen. You know, he's got these little twig arms and he was working out like, oh, this is so hard. And they're like the kind of hand weights that you would jog with. You know, it was really sad and pathetic. <laughs> but somebody pointed out after the video hit the Internet, like, who is this recording the president? And how did they get close enough to do it? Well, mm-hmm. then they, it came out the other day that some 
armed contractor with a criminal record rode an elevator with him when he visited the CDC and was like filming with his cell phone and people were saying, hey, buddy, stop that. And he's like, screw you. I don't listen to the Secret Service. Or, you know, I, they didn't really give those types of details, but that's how I picture it. Well, while reading all this news and worrying that, you know, when the, when the government is turbulent, that has a big effect on all of us. You know, we, we try to think that the day-to-day operations of our government don't really have that much to do with us unless they pass a law we don't like. But when the government is in turmoil, that can translate into societal chaos which definitely does affect us. And so many of the preparations that we make are based on dealing with, coping with, reacting to social chaos and social collapse. Mm. Well, back in 2011, somebody with a rifle took a shot at the White House. And it kind of, the news was very brief. It did not become a big deal. I'm willing to bet that if you were alive for it, you remember the guy in the black trench coat who had an SKS under his coat who just whipped it out and started shooting at the White House because one of the tourists said, hey, isn't that Bill Clinton? Now, if you don't remember, I could be aging myself a little bit here, but that that was a big news story and everybody heard about it. Well, somebody like looking through the scope of a rifle was like, goodbye, President Obama, and shot the White House. And Nobody realized it until a few days later when a housekeeper found some broken glass and the Secret Service concluded, yeah, somebody shot at the president. Well, shot at the White House. The president wasn't actually there. Um, And I think Trey Gowdy, who who makes a lot of headlines because he causes a lot of trouble for the administration, made some headlines recently in a hearing where they, they talked about this incident. Well, I found it very significant that more people haven't heard about, you know, somebody lining up a sniper rifle on the White House in 2011. Um, and it just underscores the fact that we are only one Secret Service mistake away from a kind of conscious shattering event where an American president is killed. If you think it's not possible these days for our president to be uh, murdered by some nut job, just look at all the near misses that have happened recently where that guy jumped the fence and made it all the way into the White House before someone was like, hey, should we do something about that? Oh, it's way over there. You know, yeah. So it it just it worries me from the standpoint of the type of societal chaos that could occur. You know, and, and I'm as right wing as right wing gets, so I'm not a fan of President Obama. And you, with your love for Kim Jong Il, I'm sure <laughs> appreciate this dictator as well. But I'm sorry, I'm teasing you. But but really, it worries me. I would much rather live in a world where our president cannot just be taken out by any crazy person with a gun, and yet. We've seen so many close calls. It worries me. And the fact that I didn't hear about this before worries me even more. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I, I got, I actually got into, a, not an argument with my wife about this, but, you know, she was shocked. She was shocked that anybody could shoot a rifle at, at the White House. Like, how could they get away with that? How could they? And it was like, it was from so far away. Like, it, you can't stop that, right? Like, you, it's not like, I mean, the person could just pull, they just pulled up in a car and they had, I think it was just an AK-47, and they just basically, you know, loaded up in the air in the, in the direction of the White House and fired off some rounds. And, you know, you're not, you can't stop that. That's what I was trying to tell her. It's like, how, how could, how could somebody let that happen? It's like, you can't stop that from happening. It's impossible. It's a, you know, it happens so quickly from so far away. But as you said, you know, even during the Clinton years, there was the guy that was like whipped out, whipped one out right in front of the fence. 
And now we just have a guy that can just hop the fence and go ahead and run into the building, apparently. You know, I know from being in the security industry and, um, you know, that it's unless you're on a heightened state of alert where, uh, you know, and being a bodyguard. Like being a bodyguard, you have it's so it's such boring ass work. But the problem is, is that you also have to always feel like something's about to happen. You know, and the Secret Service are supposed to be the best of the best. So it's not like, you know, and, and I think everybody has just become very lackadaisical. They've gotten, I think, really good at their jobs early in the um, the Obama years because he's had more, he's had more, you know, threats on his life than any other president has from what, from what I understand. And, you know, you can just look at the, the temperament out there and see that that's probably true. And yet, you know, early on, you remember he had like the giant, tank that was his car and and you know like there are all sorts of precautions being made and maybe they're so good that we just become lackadaisical because you you constantly have to be in a state of paranoia virtual paranoia you have to not be thinking you have to always be thinking as a bodyguard like okay today's the day like i know somebody right now is looking to take my client out and they're like how are they going to do it and and you know, so that's why you, you plan so much. But even when you're when you're sitting outside of a door, when you are with them in public, it doesn't matter. You always have to be thinking, okay, the attack's going to happen right now. How is it going to happen? And that's a mental. That's a real mental leap for you know for people to have to deal with. So I don't know. I I I agree. I mean, it's especially once you lump them all together from over the years, like the hooker scandal and and all the stuff that's <laughs> happened. It's just like. When you lump them all together, I mean, you know, to their, I want to say to their credit, number one, the president who has had the most life, life threats than anybody is still alive. And I feel good about that. And I'm sure that on a day to day basis. Makes one of you. Yeah. That, you know, they're <laughs> jokingly. He's, <laughs> you know, it's, and, and, you know, I don't, I just think it's an honorable job. And I think no matter who the president is, I mean, I'm I'm a soldier, so I'm like I'm going to follow the the commander in chief. You know, that's just that's what I, what I do. And and um, so I'm a lot more independent and and neutral than the most people are. However, I just have a independent means. I just have a healthy distrust for everybody in government. But well, because I want to stop you from all of the emails you're about to get, I will add that <laughs> for for my, from my side of the aisle, I can't. Damn President Obama. I hate his policies. I hate the way he governs. I hate his attitude. I hate the way he hisses whenever an S is in the word that he's speaking. <laughs> There's nothing about Obama that I like. However, we are not a third world banana republic, or we shouldn't be. And we cannot have uh, our president's life be in danger because it only causes everything to become worse if people start whacking our guy. You know, we yeah. just can't have that. I mean, the job of the Secret Service, regardless of the politics of the people involved, is supposed to be protecting our leaders because it, chaos will result if people start taking shots at them. You know, everybody who was alive at the time remembers where they were when Kennedy died. Um, that's a little bit before my time. I'm not quite that old, but uh, I don't particularly want to have another of those moments. You know, I still remember, like, when the Challenger exploded, how I found out about it, where I was standing, and I don't particularly want to add a, a dead president to my roster of life events like that. And it worries me that these guys, it's like they don't even care anymore. It's like, wow, remember that really hot hooker in Brazil that time? 
hey, does that guy have a rifle? Uh, he's way over there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and I guess to, you know also to your point is that things are things are so bad right now that there there always seems to be this under like this this slow boil of revolution in some circles, you know, and a targeted assassination or or anything like that could be a tipping point one way or the other. I mean, just because it is such an emotional event and there's going to be stuff on both sides. I mean, you know. You can look at any of the assassinations that have happened in the past, whether it was Martin Luther King or whatever. You know, there's emotion on both sides, and so, um, you know, I, I think it, it does. It, it could really spark off a very, very dangerous time for something like that to happen, especially during, you know, really bad times over here. Anyway, thank you for saving well, me from all the emails. This has been a cheerful Friday reload, hasn't it? <laughs> the Ebola apocalypse and Secret Service and, you know, Jeff Anderson doesn't care if your feelings are hurt. <laughs> that's, well, that's, that's very true. Uh, anyway, so my, uh, here's my, uh, I'm going to go back to kind of one of our, our common commenters, uh, for what I didn't know, uh, this week, which was David Richardson. He was, he left a comment on our, on the tactical reload, uh, post. And uh, for him, he said, for my everyday carry, I now ask myself the question, is there any reason I can't simply replace my spare magazine with a complete backup? Think of it as a reload with a gun wrapped around it, ready to use. And I am finding more and more that I can. Pocket carry, check. Ankle carry, check. If I can, if I'm going to use a second pocket or ankle for spare magazines, why not go all out and add a gun? Save some place that can only fit a magazine and not a gun for spare magazines. I I gotta say I've never I've never really thought I don't carry a backup with me. Um, although I really enjoyed my interview with Michael De Bethencourt about um, you know pocket snub nose revolvers, and um, I like the reliability of of a pocket. But that, but it makes a lot of sense, especially when we talk about like you know fumbling around with even if it's a, a lull in the fight. You know, getting that magazine in and um, being able to chamber around. It's like all the things that we take for granted, there are every time you have a step in place, it's one more step that can go wrong or, you know, takes time or whatever. Whereas uh, a, a small pocket snub nose is, can be a, a I mean, that's a, that's a good backup magazine, I guess, with a gun wrapped around it. So I think that was a really good point by David. I don't, I don't currently carry a um, a backup on me, and I think most people don't even carry a backup magazine. They just carry they just carry their their handgun. But I thought that was really interesting and um, definitely got me thinking about it. And I don't have a I don't have a snub nose, and um, I have considered it though after my interview with uh, with Michael. I'm a big fan of pocket pistols, and most pocket pistols you're not going to reload them at all. The only reason you would carry extra ammunition is for when you've emptied the gun and the fight is long over, you have extra rounds to replace the ones in the gun so you don't have a paperweight. Uh, but there's no way with most pocket pistols you would ever be able to perform the fine motor skills needed to reload that gun in the midst of a fight. Mm. So, yeah, I, I can see that that point immensely. That's a good point. What what caliber is the, um, I think you showed me before, but the um, pocket pistol that that you have? Well, I have several. Um, the, I have one that is a, a 22 Magnum. It's a, and that's a North American Arms mini revolver. Uh, it, you basically have to pull a little pin out of the middle of the cylinder in order to reload it. So there's no way you're ever going to reload that under stress. It's you know you fire it till it's empty, and then you either 
I don't know, have another one or do something else. <laughs> but the twenty two Magnum, I mean, so you're talking like super close range, like yeah, that's, it, that that's anyway. basically a face gun. That's yeah. uh, oh hi, bam. You right. know, it's, it's not something for for any amount of distance. And th- people argue, you know, the the validity of carrying what's called a mouse gun. Uh, personally, I think you know having a twenty two Magnum revolver in your pocket for something really up close is better than not having it. But it, you know, it's the same reason that you carry a knife and you carry other things. Maybe you carry pepper spray. It's a, a continuum, and yeah. uh, you know, you would carry a small pocket pistol like that because you can't reliably conceal a bigger gun like you know for for instance for non-permissive environments where look i'm not supposed to have this gun at work because they'll fire me but uh i have to carry something uh i don't mean me personally i just mean you know if, if you happen to find yourself in that situation obviously i would never recommend that you violate your company's rules but people do it and i've worked with people who did it and you know those of us who were sort of in the nra club were like i'm just going to forget the fact that that steve a few cubes down is carrying his gun and i know he is uh because you know he'll get fired if people find out and i know he's not a madman but these are the things that you file away yeah <laughs> because you know it's it's also and not to make anybody paranoid but uh if you found out that one of your coworkers regularly carried a concealed handgun despite the fact that it was against company policy if you're a gun guy and you like that dude you might not say anything, but you'd also file that piece of information away for when he was having a bad day. You know, right. Because workplace violence is also a thing. Yeah, that's true. Good point. All right, well, that brings us to the end of uh, this week's Friday Reload. And um, definitely make sure that you check out the uh, the full blog post and the, the podcast on our blog at moderncombatandsurvival.com. And also definitely check out our podcast at iTunes, uh, there is a link. If you go to the, any of the podcasts that are on the blog, you'll find a link over there where you can subscribe to iTunes, and you can either listen to it on the on your computer or on your phone or on an iPod or something like that. Um, please go in and give us a, a really good rating in there and leave a good comment for us. Help us get the word out. And uh, check out our Facebook page at, at uh, facebook.com slash moderncombatandsurvival. We're almost at a half a million fans. We're almost at 500,000 fans. We'll probably be there in the next um, in the next couple of weeks. In fact, we're having a uh, special contest this week to help us push those numbers up a little bit more. We're giving away five uh, Condor Tactical Tomahawks, which is which is my favorite um, hawk that I've got uh, for lots of reasons. It's a really it's a really great tomahawk, and so we're giving away five of those right now in a special contest. But you got to go over to Modern Combat and Survival, click on the tab for the contest there. And uh, go ahead and like our, our page, and that will go ahead and get you in the running for it. It's free. There's nothing you need to compete for. You just need to like our page. That's all you need to do. So, um, anyway, so go check that out. And, um, anyway, I look forward to uh, to our next podcast next week. It's going to be awesome. So this is Jeff Anderson. And I am Buck Green. And train hard. Stay safe. Prepare now. Thanks, everyone. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash modern combat and survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. 
This has been Modern Combat and Survival. I'm totally going to unsubscribe from our uh, Facebook page when we're just one away from a, a million, half a million members. I'm going to be like, ah, unsubscribe. <laughs> that's so um, supportive of you. <laughs> well, that's because of the whole Kim Jong-il thing, you dirty <laughs> communist. <laughs>